Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Jeff Highsmith. He's an exhibit fabricator and creative technologist, which is to say he builds really fun things. How's it going, Jeff? Great. Happy to be here. So you, let's start with your, your current occupation. You work at a, uh, a children's museum. Yes. Getting, you, know, you get to build fun stuff. Do you want to name that museum? It's Marbles Kids Museum in Raleigh, North Carolina. Raleigh. I have relatives in Raleigh. Um, so your job there, are you, the, uh, are you the only person building there? No, I work on an exhibits team. So we've got uh, three folks in there. Um, the other two uh, have different specialties than I do. I'm, I'm sort of the electronic specialist. Um, but they do a lot of 3D design and modeling and stuff that is, is still very new to me. So we <laughs> complement each other well. My, one of my favorite uh, expeditions as, as a child was always to go to the Science Museum and go through the children's uh, everything from those electrostatic balls that you put your hands on and your hair flies up uh, to the larger like exploration installations that were specific to topics, anatomy and whatnot. What kind of uh, what kind of stuff do you find really exciting in your job? Uh, building new stuff that delights kids. I really like to put in things where the kids, you know, they whether it's they push a button or a lever or something, um, some kind of electrical or mechanical thing the kids do, and they're like, "Wow!" Um, so just hiding delight around the museum is 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 fun. Um, whether it's a light coming on they didn't expect to, or something launching a ball in a new way. Uh, it's, it's fun to please the kids. I, I bet you have really good Halloween decorations. Actually, Halloween feels, uh, it feels like it's like, it's too, like everybody's doing it. It's too mainstream <laughs> for me. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know about that. I just, I, I want to, I want to do my own thing. So I, we usually don't even hand out candy. We just take our kids, um, out on the streets and, and go, go trick or treating. <laughs> All right. Well, you do some really fun things, uh, as hobbies, but we'll get to that in a second. I want, I'm wondering, how, how long have you been at the Children's Museum? Just a couple of years now. Uh, first part-time and then full-time. And was your profession before that also related to building and electronics? No. It was, I, I came into it as a hobby. When my kids were born, my hobbies were outdoor stuff, um, backpacking, hiking, canoeing, that kind of thing which didn't really work with babies. So um, as a stay-at-home dad, I was figuring out things I could do next to a sleeping baby and robotics and programming, electronics. That looked like something that was really interesting. Um, so I, I got into that. Um, D- I, did you have a previous base to build on? Did you, were you already working in I robotics had- at all? I had part of a computer information systems degree, but it was mostly the general education stuff. Um, I dropped out because there was a nearby public radio station that seemed more interesting than my classes. <laughs> um, so eventually I was uh, operations manager there and uh, not taking any classes. Yeah, I, I dropped out because uh, uh, calculus. Oh, uh, yeah, I didn't like that either. Um, but it turns out later in life, I actually love calculus. I just didn't. I was taught, I guess I was taught math in a way that wasn't compatible with my way of learning. Oh, yeah. I'm actually pretty good at math. Uh-huh. I never realized that. Not, yeah, until, not until it was too late. Right. I look back on engineering and, and all that stuff. I'm like, man, I should have 
been an engineer. Why wasn't I an engineer? Uh, whether, you know, electrical or electromechanical or what, they've got all kinds of uh, ones that seem interesting to me now. And I'm thinking to myself, why didn't I just overcome that? <laughs> they put me in the advanced math classes in school. And then I was like, this is a lot of work. Yeah. And then I just, you know, didn't do the homework, that kind of thing. And then before you know it, I'm taking the football player math. Um, <laughs> and people are copying <laughs> off of me um, just because I was lazy. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. But... But it wasn't laziness. I mean, the things, if you go through your videos from the Make website, you, you have no lack of uh, inspiration and, and uh, drive to create. So it, I, I think the idea that you were lazy in school is more that it just wasn't interesting. Would you? Would, would you... Yeah, I could see that. I, I'm just, like when I focus on something, I'm extremely tenacious and focused uh, on, you know, to a fault even, uh, where it's like, oh, I've got to get this done every spare second, you know, in the shower driving. Um, even, you know, when I should be like playing with the kids, I'm thinking about this project. Um, so it, it's difficult for me to, um, to go at something half-heartedly. I just want to pick something really ambitious and then just, you know, knock it out of the park. Um, but that makes it tricky. Uh, both to do small projects and then to do stuff that I'm not quite interested in. So this ambition to to do large things has this been present? Was this why you switched jobs drastically? Is it this ambition to do things that are new and learn new things? Yeah, um, I, you know, growing up, I, I never really knew what I wanted to be. I yeah, I watched a lot of MacGyver for sure. So you know. <laughs> improvising and, and, and creating things was, was fun, but um, I was mostly working in, in the family construction business. It wasn't really clear what my future would be. I went into computer information systems thinking, oh, I, I would make a good computer programmer. Um, but then as I was going through that, I was thinking, yeah, I don't know if I want to sit at a desk all day long. Um, it, it just seemed too uh, cooped up to me. I wanted to be outside or, or, or doing something. And that's my lack of enthusiasm for a desk job um, led to me pursuing a um, job in the radio station that was nearby. And so eventually I was, I was working full time as the operations manager at a small radio station and not taking any classes. So that was good for building my skills. Um, you know, soldering stuff was fun and all that. But I guess I, I wandered for a while is what I'm saying. Which I think I think probably served you well. What what personality trait would you say was most relevant in your ability to to wander, to not feel the need to do something that you didn't love? Uh, curiosity. Uh, I can't stand a black box. So <laughs> I see like a like a golf cart on on the sidewalk, and I I'm on the ground looking underneath, like, well, what kind of batteries do they have in there? How does the drive system work? You know, I'm like. This is new. What's in there? Um, and it doesn't mean that I know everything about everything because, you know, the information's out there. But I always want to learn just enough so that I can tell myself, yeah, I could see how that was done. Um, and then I'm, I'm, I'm kind of satisfied. And then I move on to the next. Oh, how does that work? The next thing. Um, but and, those. And that, go ahead. I'm not sure where I was going. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but those little pieces of information create a, uh, a ground, uh, a base that you can then, when you have your own ideas, you can reference the pieces that you figured out before 
and put them together. Right. That's kind of how I learned to program. Yeah, it's building a toolbox. Um, it, it starts out as curiosity and trying different things, and, oh, I wonder if I could do that. And, and you know, once you've Hello Worlded in a few different languages, then you can build lots of things with that. Exactly. Every, everything, you know, every project I do seems to require at least two languages, um, some of them <laughs> more than that. And then, you know, I don't think... Um, some people say, well, you know, I, I program, but... Um, you know, I don't like it or, or I didn't know the answer to this and, and, and I'm not very good at it. And I'm like, well, no, it's it, programming isn't about, you know, not get you, you don't write a piece of code and there's no bugs. Programming is learning quickly and solving problems. I think that's more the root of, or the heart of programming is just being a problem solver and figuring things out. See, and I would posit that that willingness to solve problems, that desire actually to solve problems is, is, uh, indicative of your your path in your career yeah i always I, I want an interesting problem to solve so sometimes people will they'll just mention something in passing and i'm like oh let's solve that problem and they're like no it's no big deal i, I was just gonna leave and i'm like no but it, I, I like it it's interesting can we fix it and they're like all right yeah so some it, it's it's not always a problem that really needs solving, um, but <laughs> if I find it intellectually stimulating, and and I'm not even a puzzle guy, I don't do logic puzzles or or Sudoku. I I did when it first came out because I wanted to you know see if I could do it and you know state my curiosity on that subject. But um, after I said okay, yeah, I can do that, then eh, that was all right. Then you um, need something new. Yeah, yeah. Then I wanted to solve the next new thing. Um, but yeah, it's just my, my curiosity taking me all, all different places. I have built my own career on solving problems that didn't really need solving at the time. Right. Just that, <laughs> that curiosity, like, can I do this? Yeah. Um, and then when something comes along that, you know, is a really difficult thing that needs doing, you've, you've practiced, you've got all the skills and, right. and do it. Yeah. And it's, it's served me well. It sounds like it served you well. So, yeah. so you're home now with kids let's go back in time and and you you suddenly have to find another way to satisfy this drive to solve problems how does robotics come into your radar oh i don't even know i guess when when i was in boy scouts um i, I don't know if it was my first summer camp but an early summer camp i got uh homesick and i was just you know a sniveling mess and didn't want to go do any merit badges so they parked me in front of a ham radio that one of the uh, scoutmasters had brought and I would just tune the dial and that kind of thing and, and then you know a month later he's teaching me how to solder and build radios and that kind of thing so as a kid I had um, a background in soldering and electronics and I, I would do the occasional project um, but not really intensely and I didn't really see that so much as my identity um, but then later when I was thinking about hobbies to try um, I don't remember how I discovered it but the um, the Bobot kit by Parallax uh, was was really great as an introduction to robotics they give you all the pieces they give you an excellent manual and you just go through and you learn okay you've got motors you've got sensors you've got programming to make decisions um, yeah it, it was great yeah that that sounds uh, perfect for what we're talking about with the uh, the need to explore. Uh, do you think that the the advent of Arduinos and the accessibility of more advanced electronics to hobbyists was uh, a major factor in going back to that early Boy Scout kind of experience? 
Yeah, I I think it just amazes me how much is available now. And I don't know. It's hard for me to compare because it seems like we're in this golden age of information is everywhere and you can get all the parts you want. But where, you know, how much better will it be in the future? And was it kind of like this in the past for people in the know? And and we just didn't know. Um, But yeah, it seems like there's just so many options out there. Um, I think I I think I can confidently answer that in the past it was not like this. Right. Yeah, I I guess, (laughs) you know, without the Internet. um, Yep. To, to, to build a circuit of some kind, uh, you'd have to find a book or someone that knew how. You couldn't just uh, pull a slab out of your pocket and ask. And that requires <laughs> that requires resources that were not accessible to as many people as they are now. Now yeah. you can do it on your phone on the way home. Right. <laughs> Crazy. That is that is great. So you have uh, a lot of videos. If you go to jeffhighsmith.com, there are uh, kind of posts and videos about uh, probably all of your projects since you started this blog it looks like you're you're relatively uh uh ardent about documenting yeah i I do like uh i make something i think people might be interested in and and i like to take a nice picture and, and describe it you know i hope to inspire someone to not make the exact same thing but uh, you know, to unleash their own creativity and, and, and see where it will take them and show them that, yeah, you could do this at home in, in a day if you wanted to. That is exactly what I've done ever since blogging became a thing. I don't write how-tos so much as um, maybe you coulds. Right. <laughs> take it this almost, and do your own thing with it. Yeah, it, it almost... Um, I don't know if it bothers me, but maybe it does. Maybe it bothers me when people... Um, ask for step-by-step instructions they're like no exactly what do i do next can can i have can i have your code can you get me a parts like no i want you to explore i want you to go on your own journey this was my journey and it was fun and i hope and i was nice enough to tell you about it yeah yeah but but (laughs) it's it's your journey it's your hike in the woods or whatever Uh, i i I don't want to lead you by the hand because then it wouldn't be a journey I love it. It's the uh, the the classic autodidact versus more methodical learning, uh, which is why people like you and I didn't do great in uh, logic based courses in school. You probably did all right in uh, English and and lit, didn't you? Yeah, uh, when, Wild when I found guess. the books interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm comfortable with the English language. I, I like writing. Um, it's fun to to tweak a, a written piece and, and get the words into something that people enjoy, but uh, it, not so much with the just memorize how to do this formula. Right. When someone else already knows the answer and you're just trying to get there, it's not the same. Right. Yeah. Once I've, <laughs> I've, told, once I've told myself, yeah, I, I could do a derivative if I wanted to, it's not interesting to me to do a bunch of them. So, so this comes down then to creativity. I um, think so, yeah. Which, which I think we would both argue everyone has the potential for. Certainly. If it's, uh, if it's allowed to be expressed in the way that each individual is creative. Did you play an instrument? Uh, a couple. I played a trumpet in band. Uh, and then I, I made a cigar box guitar, so I learned to play that. I really was more interested in making it. Sure. Uh, but the, the guy that to- told me the couple of key guitar parts you need like the fret wire and that sort of thing he said well if you could make one you can play one so I, I taught myself well enough to play a simple blues song 
which I think I've forgotten by now. But <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, but music was it was a, a mathematical problem that you wanted to solve. Yeah, well, I wanted to see. I wanted to unlock. It, wh- how is it made? Like I, I, I listen to music, but why did they choose that note? Yes. Um, and the one genre that was, you know, systematic enough for me to understand was blues, where they have the the twelve bars of blues, where okay, you play this chord for this many bars, then you switch to this chord to build some tension, and then this chord, and then back to the original one, and it it um it. I could understand the making of music at that point, sure. and I liked that. So I could, you know, and then I, I kind of taught myself a little harmonica. So, and then with the harmonica, you kind of learn, okay, well, these notes build tension, these notes resolve tension. So it was a, it was an interesting thing for me to learn how to make music, um, but within a bit of a system because it was, you know, I'm not really that musical. Well, I mean, I would wager that in all of your pursuits, a framework. To work in is much easier than an open space right uh, uh, a grid for creativity where you have a foundation that you can then do whatever yeah. you want within Legos yes grids um, <laughs> so back to these these videos and projects descriptions uh, what were your uh, your recent favorites um I, the the space stuff I've really enjoyed making the mission control desk for my son where it's got a bunch of light up knobs and things and sounds and all that so he can play like he's launching a rocket and then in the other bedroom the spaceship itself where you've got control panels full of, of knobs and switches and, and pretend you're flying a spaceship there's a robot arm in there to launch your satellites um, it was just so fun to solve such a complex problem well First, even with the desk, how do you control that many lights and switches and have it be responsive, play the sound as soon as you flick it, and just keep track of all the different lights that are on? Um, but then also to make it fun, I, you know, researching NASA sounds, I went through um, audio recordings of past missions looking for good sounds to use. You know, I want, I want someone from NASA saying the word splashdown. <laughs> um, so I can put that on the button and then label that button splashdown, that kind of thing. So... Uh, it was, and then building the spaceship, um, you know, putting a sound system in there. I put in a bass shaker, so when you hit the rocket button, it shakes you, <laughs> so you feel like you're really doing something. Um, that sounds then, so much more fun than my refrigerator box spaceships. Oh well, I don't know. See, I had another <laughs> idea for something to make where I could just make like a little boombox-sized dashboard. And then you could just hand that to a kid and they could stick it on a refrigerator box or something <laughs> like that. And turn anything into, you know, put it on the couch and fly the couch around. Um, because kids like to push buttons and make sounds, but they also don't like to be tied down. They like to, you know, create things themselves. Sure. Take them where their mission will go. It sounds to me like your, your kids are an excuse for you to pursue your own kind of... Uh, childhood delights oh yes certainly and and, <laughs> and and my reasoning is that um it's not that i always say i'm doing this for my kids because i realize that i'm not especially if uh you know i'm struggling to finish something and i'm like well maybe maybe you could play 10 minutes of minecraft while daddy solves this problem you know <laughs> um that i'm not doing it for my kids at that point i should be playing with them then uh, but <laughs> it, it's 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 
playing with my kids at least and doing something that we can both enjoy then. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I'm not just shutting myself in the room and watching football. Um, I'm doing something that we can then play with together later. I, I love it. I, th- I think I would thrive in that area. I've decided not to have children uh, mm-hmm. for many reasons, but I would love to be the uh, the mad scientist uncle that kids come over and we solve that kind of problem together and I build toys and things. I would enjoy that a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to build things for people and then see them light up as they, as they play with it and use it. Do you think that, that the, the toys you build... If I can call them toys, they're, that's a very... Um, yep, no, that's it. <laughs> it. It summarizes things a bit much, but uh, would you say that these are learning toys for you, for your kids as much as for you? I hope them to be. Um, I understand that, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky. You, you make it too much of a just pushing buttons thing and they're not learning. So I, I try to hold back enough that they have to put in their own creativity to play with something. Um, but yeah, yeah, I like, I like to think that they're, you know, either thinking about space missions, not that I want them to be astronauts necessarily, but that their, their minds are, are active while they're playing with them and they're thinking about things they haven't thought about before. So, uh, without being uh, a neuroscientist, would you say that creativity could be taught to anyone at the right age? Yeah, well, I think everyone's got creativity, and some people are maybe afraid or just not comfortable using it or unleashing it, that um, maybe they're afraid they'll make mistakes. They'd rather just color inside the lines instead of draw their own thing. Um, but once they get comfortable with you know, any set of tools, whether it's art supplies or saws and, and screwdrivers, um, once they understand something well enough to, to be creative with it, then everyone can, can be creative. What is, can you teach an old dog new tricks? Do you think you can become a creative person at any point in life? To an extent. I, I don't know that everyone has the personality type for it, I guess. Uh, some people really like rule systems, but then there's still, you know, like playing the blues, there's still a system of rules and you can still be creative within that. You can say, okay, I'm going to build some tension with these notes now, but I'll choose which of the tension building notes and I'll make an original piece, but still within the rules. Um, well, or if, if you look at a piano, you only have, uh, you know, 12 keys that, I mean, in within an octave that you can right. uh, use. There's no pitch bend. There's no in between but right. the problem solving comes in what do i do with these 12 keys that no one's done before and yeah. i think i think most people that we would consider uh rule lovers actually really enjoy the problem of making the rules work mm-hmm. so i do think there's creativity i think a lot of people don't realize they are creative even though they already are yeah i, I would be very sad if i picked a, a career where that that equip uh, that was the equivalent of uh, factory work, where you just push the same button all day. Yeah, nothing is worse than watching the clock and and just feeling like anybody could do what I'm doing. I want to feel like, not that I was born to do it, but like that my experiences have have perfected me for this, um, and that this is I, I'm doing the perfect thing for me. That's that's how I like to feel when I'm doing something. If, if I can tell you about me for a second, Certainly. Which, which is 
that's how I do interviews is they're not, I, I suck at interviewing. Uh, <laughs> but my first job was in a bindery uh, at a printing company. Ah. And you, you would get, you know, your assignment for the day and you would be punching holes out of, you know, uh, cut paper and over and over and over again. And you would, you'd be watching the clock, you'd be watching for the next break. And then, you know, strategically avoiding the older ladies who went out back to smoke and uh, complain all day. So I very quickly began examining, as my mind went numb, I would begin examining the processes around me and figuring out where things could be done better. And as I started presenting those, first there there was negative feedback, you know, know your place kind of stuff. But eventually, I was I was quickly moved into the uh, the back uh, design studio area, where I I could actually, you know, <laughs> have some say in these things, and eventually taught myself Photoshop and Illustrator uh, on the machines there, and used my used their rainbow printer to build a portfolio that got me into art school. And yeah, it's there there are certain personalities that aren't willing to try. I think. I think even the old smoking complaining ladies probably noticed the same things I did. They just didn't have the motivation to stir things up. Yeah. I think I think that what you do with your kids, the the exact kind of the learning what would you call them uh uh enrichment toys that you build. Learning through play. Right. I think that opens up that willingness even even an unwillingness to not be creative. Yeah. It's an anti-boredom uh, mindset that you're instilling, and I love that. Yeah, don't be don't be bored. Um, go make something, or even if it's if it's a game, or you're, you're inventing something new, use your mind uh, to its fullest. The only time I have ever said the words in my life "I'm bored" was when I wasn't allowed to do anything. But say, like when you sit down to refinance a house. And you have to sign every page of a thousand page document. Yeah. That's when I'm bored. There's no there's no room for creative. <laughs> my signature changes over time. I keep <laughs> I perfected right. my signature in the process uh-huh. of refinancing things. <laughs> but um but yeah, it's uh I, I don't think boredom should exist for anyone of any age. There should yeah. always be things to explore. Yeah, it's funny with your signature, it's like that's the one thing you have control over and, and you're <laughs> modifying it. It's like <laughs> Like you're in a factory pulling a lever and it's like, well, I can choose where I'm going to grip this lever and I'm going to grab it in just the right spot and pull it at just the right speed. Even, you know, the creative mind is, is, is that thinking, is so true. processing, it, you know, trying to figure out what you can do. But uh, at least I get really frustrated when I, I can't affect change yes. in, in something. Especially and, when you know it could be better. Right. And, or- and the games I enjoy playing, you know, worst game ever for me is is war where you're just flipping cards over and it's pure chance i want a game where i feel like i'm doing something to affect my outcome have you ever made uh like board game style games when i was younger i remember we did but uh, not recently it's a that's a science i've always been fascinated by the idea of combining chance with strategy and uh intermittent reinforcement and oh, yeah. you know, building this kind of addictive reward system that makes right. a great game. 
and then get working gameplay aspects in there. You know, you don't want them to be a runaway success, and then it just, <laughs> you know gets out of hand, or, or still keeping it so people can play against each other. And so that there's always mechanics. a challenge. Yeah, looking at things like the settlers of Catan with the robber that comes in occasionally to to limit um, how many cards you're holding and that kind of thing. That um, is fascinating. The games I get most obsessed with are ones where I have to beat my own high score and there's no end to them. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Solitaire, for example. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I obsessively played Solitaire. My grandmother taught me how, and I was always like just learning the strategy until you feel the patterns and you can see things in advance. And it it was probably more exciting to me than any other game card or board as a child uh just beating my own high score and i'm still like that right i'm obsessed with puzzle games which i think is very much what we're talking about you have a limited set of options and one one mistake can lose it but you get to start again and do it better yeah and and you're the only one affecting where you're gonna go with it it's it's not not well that's a that's a consideration right there is for some people, creativity, the the possibility of making a mistake has much higher stakes than mm-hmm. uh, someone who is, say, you know, building a children, children's installation. Sure, if you get too crazy, you kill a small child and then you're ruined. Right. But, yeah. but you have the, the leeway to, to scrap and start again. But I'm sure yeah. there are probably professions where any creativity is frowned on because of either monetary or physical damage potential yeah i'm trying to i mean like let's say nasa or something where you know mistakes cost lives right but did you read the martian yeah oh yeah see that was fascinating because everyone on the ground in the air in space on mars everyone had to be creative the entire time right yeah and it it, was fascinating it seems like it's such a we can't make any mistakes kind of a place but at the same time you're always solving new problems coming up uh it made me want to work for nasa oh yeah the idea that someone would one day say uh we have a guy stuck on mars by himself and we need to do a high-speed flyby pickup can you figure out how yeah, yeah, and and you know, there's no budgetary limits or anything like that. Anything you can think of, we'll we'll make whatever you need. Um, yes, that's just awesome. But such a limited, like for him on Mars with his very limited resources, right? You know, he had to make what had been there the whole time into something entirely new, and that was I I loved his character. Yeah, I didn't see the movie yet. Did you see the movie? Yes. Was it, it good? Uh, it was. It was. Uh, you know, of course, the the book was. You know, the original piece um but yeah the movie was great and and i really love the idea that we have another great space movie out there uh, <laughs> and then just showing people like this is this is problem solving this is what you do to stay alive and this is how the human race continues yeah yeah his <laughs> character was such a go get him we'll we'll figure it out kind of a thing and then yeah. especially at the end uh, of the movie he talked about um you know, how you have this huge, almost insurmountable problem. You break it down into small pieces and you solve the first one and then the next one. And, you know, that sounds like programming again. It's, right. it's just, we're just going to break the problem up into pieces that we can handle and solve each one. And then when we're done, we've accomplished something huge. Which I think is a principle that is applied to every aspect of life if you, uh, if you develop okay. those critical thinking and creativity skills. Right. How could I ever raise a child? Well, 
feed them breakfast, <laughs> you take care of them, that kind of a thing. Or how could, you know, how, did, how is the operating system on my computer made? It's just magic. I, I move my finger around and all these pictures and everything like that. But then you start reducing it to functions and you're like, okay, well, there's a function that does this and a function that does that. And this function calls, you know, 72 other functions. Um, everything seems solvable at that point once you, you start digging down. And breaking up, yeah. Right, take away the, the abstractions. Um, so uh, this, I just had this sudden curiosity, as, as a father, the experience of being a father, did you have initial trepidation about messing your kids up? Um, I don't know. I don't remember did you ever? That. Did you ever Maybe think? I should. <laughs> did you ever think if I make a mistake in the way that I decide to create their environment, I could create a serial killer? Huh. It I'm glad to like hear you I hesitate. Should be thinking about, but no, I, I, I don't. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's definitely like, you know, there's small decisions along the way. Like, well, you're getting a little too enthusiastic with your cops and robbers game. That, <laughs> like, let's tone that back a bit, you know. Sure, let's but you were willing, willing to make mistakes, which goes back to what we've been saying. Mm-hmm. And I think that for even for me, the fear of being a bad parent uh, was initially why I didn't want to be a parent. And eventually there were more solid uh, justifiable reasons, but I hear a lot about people who are very worried, and these people who follow like trendy parenting ideas and feel uh, I don't know. Growing up, my friend's parents, I, I grew up in a very structured, overly structured home, but I think I did fine. But my friend's parents were often like new agey about the whole thing mm-hmm. and trying so hard. You know, we don't say no in this house and things like that. That. I, I don't think ultimately it matters. I think kids come out the way kids come out. I mean, you can you can be a bad parent. You can provide a bad childhood. But I've known plenty of people who had really messed up homes and turned out to be good people. And vice right. versa. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the, the, the one saying the strongest iron is, is forged in the hottest fire or something like that. That, you know, people that had people that had to solve a lot of problems uh, in their most malleable state learned to solve problems really well. Yeah. Um, but it, on the whole, I think the opportunity to be an awesome parent far outweighs the risk of, of the op- or, or the chance that you'll be a bad parent. I can see that. To me, it's like another thing like, you know, I can affect this world in a positive way by building this awesome person that will go out and, and you know, do and change the things that I, I couldn't accomplish in my lifetime. That See, that's appealing to me. There have been many times I have examined what I'm doing at the moment and said, man, I would be a horrible parent, and then immediately backtracked and said, you know what? That would actually be awesome you know, for a parent to provide this kind of flexibility for a kid. I still don't think I'm cut out for fatherhood, but... Well, I, I think the people that at least think about the... You know, probably the, the people that are horrible parents are not thinking about whether or not they're a horrible parent. Like, that's probably what leads to it. So <laughs> that's somewhere in super there, true. <laughs> the very fact that you considered the possibility um, <laughs> probably means that you wouldn't be that bad. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's probably very accurate. All right, well, you, you are a fascinating person. <laughs> the, from the moment I saw your, uh, your kind of description as being someone who built installations at a children's museum, I started researching this is you. Fun. This has been like, a good conversation. 
it's just great to to be able to fulfill my own creativity and then to think about kids discovering and delighting themselves playing with it. Uh, terrific. I, Very I love rewarding. it. I love it. I uh I I'm almost jealous. I <laughs> enjoy I enjoy what I do, but it, the, the, I found the kids. I'd never thought about being a kids museum exhibit builder or or even working in a museum in general. But I was I had a, a retail job um, that I picked up as I uh, as the kids were going into school, and I didn't need to be um, a stay at home dad anymore. Uh, and the retail job was just so boring, and it was killing me. And 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 one day, you know another shoplifter and I'm like, oh, this is it. there's got to be something better out there. <laughs> and that's when I, I thought of the kids museum idea. I'm like, I wonder if they have any openings. And they did. And the description sounded exactly like me. I'm like, this is it. See, and that's what I love is you had never considered your current profession and you just jumped into it. Yeah. Who knew? I, I wouldn't have even thought that that was, I, I guess I figured somebody builds those things, but you know, the idea that I could be the person building those things, um, that was just awesome. Have you seen the new GE commercials yeah, uh, wh- well. where they have the, the nerdy kid saying, I'm going to work for GE as a developer? And no. all of his friends are like, yeah, but I, I made an app that puts hats on kittens. And everyone's more excited <laughs> about that than this guy who's going to build the infrastructure for hospitals and things. Right. It makes me, I would go work for GE. Those commercials are really appealing to me. Yeah, the idea that you could you could affect something so big um, and solve such an interesting, intricate problem. I'm almost willing to learn Java just to explore oh. the possibility. <laughs> yeah, JavaScript is bad enough. I can't imagine. I am, uh, like JavaScript that. is actually the lack of the ability to build your own confines and structure in JavaScript is fascinating to me. It's actually one of my favorite languages these days. Oh, okay. If I, I had I, if I had to pick the worst language in the world, it would be AppleScript, which is why oh, Apple is replacing AppleScript with JavaScript. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah I've I've dabbled in JavaScript. I'm actually uh, working on a prototype for another project. Um, and and without going into too much detail about something we haven't announced yet, it's it's going to be a large scale musical instrument. So I'm going to have lasers detecting footsteps and my contraption will then send uh, MIDI signals to a computer running an audio synthesizer and play music. Um, but then I need some kind of interface in there so you can change, you know, do you, do you want a major scale? Do you want a minor scale? Do you want a a C scale, a C sharp scale, all kinds of stuff like that. So I'm building a web interface to feed into that. Um, another project that requires like six different languages. Sure. (laughs) Have you seen, uh, iRig's iRing? I don't, I have seen it. I have not played with it, but it's uh, it's a ring you put on your finger and it has a pad with three different uh, markers, uh, contrasting color, and then in a different configuration on the backside. And you can hold it up in front of your phone or your Mac's camera. And as you move your hand, it sends MIDI signals based on its detection of those three dots. Oh, cool. And you can assign those then to any MIDI controller. And uh-huh. with, with uh, like OSC technology, you can... Uh, say load up logic and control any parameter in logic by moving your hand in different ways and you can control what your motion of your hand does and that stuff i I love i used to really get into fm synthesis and programming old uh 
old old keyboards that you could kind of take apart and resolder something, and it would change the sound drastically. Oh, like right, like the speak and spell and that yeah. kind of thing. Well, yeah. even up to like the Moog synthesizers and things. And oh, wow. Yeah, that was how I got into music, really. I played stringed instruments my whole life, and I understood strings, and I understood piano. But when I found MIDI, Mm -hmm. everything changed because suddenly I had so much more uh, control. And like I said, suddenly you have a pitch bend, and you have no limitation to a a 12-note scale. and. Yeah. yeah, you can assign a knob to every little characteristic, you yes. know, like let's have a knob that sound, make it sounds grittier kind of a thing. And then you know? programmatically automate the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you, you know, and then you could build your functions and abstractions on yes. top of that. Um, yes. Your arpeggiators and all that. Um, that fractals, when I got into Pascal in high school, building like fractals was uh, a breakthrough for me. And uh, and again, it's one of those things where if I had understood the relationship between calculus and fractals, mm-hmm. I would have done better at math. Right, or been more enthusiastic about calculus. Right, exactly. Which would have led to you doing better in math. Exactly, exactly. The enthusiasm. Yeah, if, if I could just control, like if the logical side of my brain could control where my enthusiasm is direct, <laughs> I could... Not that I would be happier necessarily, because I'm happy just following where the enthusiasm goes. But I, I, I think I could, you know, be a billionaire or whatever. Yeah, because... I, I think that would be if, if you could just direct your enthusiasm uh, in a very logical sense, you'd be Superman. Yeah, just thinking like, okay, well, this is an interesting problem to solve, making lots of money. But to, to me, um, <laughs> no. building a spaceship—that's fun. Okay, last question before we do the top three picks. Um, have you ever? Let's see. I just lost the question. It was related huh. to what we just said, and it was an important question. To me, I've lost it. I've lost it. Um, anyway, so scratch that part. <laughs> Let's do the top three picks uh, because I think yours yours tie into this conversation really well. Mine do not at all, but oh, that, okay. it's going to be fun anyway. <laughs> Diversity is good. Um. So yeah, we go uh, round robin back and forth one at a time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can pick whichever you want for your first pick. Yeah, I'd say uh, a scroll saw is what I picked as, as, as my first pick. It's um, a power tool, but it's a very benign power tool. You really have to work to cut your finger off with it. Um, it's it's an up and down moving blade, and you can take the blade out. You can drill a hole in a piece of wood and stick the blade through that so you can cut inside holes and shapes and things like that. And I, I think it's a great gateway tool, uh, especially during the Christmas season. Uh, you make Christmas ornaments. You can make control panels for spaceships, um, whatever you want. If, if people are interested in, in making unique things with their hands and raw materials, uh, a scroll saw is a really great way to get into that for, for not much money. Yeah, I was going to say, it's actually pretty expensive for your average tabletop power tool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 100 bucks will get you started. Um, but it, uh, it's it's fun. Yeah, that looks... Uh, I think I, I have a scroll saw. I got a uh, some zip zip router thing. Oh, yeah. The, the like, for cutting out um, shapes Any. and holes in drywall or, or any Yeah, material. but th- this one came with all these attachments. It can be a circular saw. It can be a drill. It can be... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Zip... zip uh, can't remember now. Router? Well, it's a router, but there's a per- specific brand. Um, 
Yeah, I can picture it. I can I can picture the word zip on the logo, but I can't think of what the rest of it is. Uh, Rotozip. It's yeah, Roto-Zip. that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so I got the, uh, for 20 bucks at a garage sale, I got the Rotozip, oh, wow. Rotosaw, and all of the attachments, including like grinders, and uh, there's one that you can attach these two things and it becomes uh, like a compass that you can cut circles oh, right. in flooring with. Like it has a diamond bit on a compass. I've oh, had man. a lot of fun with that, so I've never gotten around to the scroll saw. But well, Now the hot thing is, you know, a CNC, a computer control cutter, um, but those are really expensive. Uh, and I think that people, that and, you know, 3D printing, people set their eyes on those and say, oh, I could make stuff if only I had those. But, I mean, really, if you had a, a $10 coping saw, which, which is just a hand saw that uses the same blade as a scroll saw, um, you could do the same stuff. It just takes longer. Yeah. Uh, but a computer-controlled uh, cutting machine uh, is like a roto-zip mounted on a gantry, and it just moves back and forth according to whatever you, you told it to do. Yeah. Uh, not uh, what you wanted to do necessarily, but what you told it to do. There's um, there's a, an ad I keep seeing on my Facebook wall for this printer cutter thing that can it can do everything from like etch your MacBook to oh, the 3D. Forge. Yeah, that is awesome. We ordered one of those for the museum. Yeah, have you seen it yet? No, no, it's a Kickstarter, I think. So um, it's looking like next year early like february maybe we'll get it the oh. absolute funniest thing about it for me was that if you go into the comment thread for the uh facebook announcement mm-hmm. there's this one uh review that's top ranked because it has the most conversation but someone gave it a one star review because they were mad that everyone was giving it five star reviews when they hadn't seen it yet <laughs> and it was this Fight. right well kind of and and then the conversation it was the good part of it. And this kind of evolution of someone realizing that aspiration and inspiration were actually worth <laughs> good ratings. Right. Um, that it wasn't just you know, smoke and mirrors. The idea itself was a five-star idea and everyone was so excited about it. And they were just mad that everyone else was excited. But they came around by the end of the comment thread. They never changed their rating. <laughs> it's still a one-star rating. But by the end of the comment thread, they're totally on board. It was fun to read. That's great. It's, it's so rare a thing in a comment <laughs> thread for anyone to change their mind. For, yeah, for, especially for you know for agreement uh, instead right. of downhill. Yeah, I mean, you may as well go in there with your avatar wearing a uniform. <laughs> this is the side I've chosen kind of a thing. Or just the troll so. mask, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> and, and then two people, uh, two two females who loved um world of warcraft met in the comment thread and became best friends by the end of it it was huh. interesting it was interesting anyway yeah, i'll link I'll, I'll throw a link into the glowfarge kickstarter oh, that is, as well that's worthy of a pick there that is awesome <laughs> all right so think yeah my first pick is the new version of who to spot which i think is 4.1 um on a mac you have spotlight and Spotlight is an amazing system that uses metadata to allow you to search for any aspect of a file, whether it's date or content or file name and uh, hundreds of other things you can categorize by. But Hootaspot takes the power of Spotlight and makes it much more flexible and allows you to add a lot more criteria and extends things greatly. And then you can save your searches and uh, and create, there's like a menu bar uh element to it that you can pop up for a quick search based on predefined 
criteria that you've, you've almost built. got a small file system in there at that point. Well, yeah, it, it is. It's an amazing tool for anyone who depends on Spotlight versus you know a strict hierarchical folder system. And I am very much a Spotlight person. I like the flexibility. So Hootspot has always been great, but the biggest thing that always was a uh, uh, block for me was that it couldn't convert its uh, save searches into smart folders that I could just access directly from Finder. And the mm-hmm. latest version, he added it and he emailed me right away. It's like, I, I, I fixed this for you. And it can't take, because of the power that Hootaspot adds, not all of it is compatible with a Finder smart folder. But the things that are, you can export now straight into your sidebar and Finder and create uh, create safe searches that are spectacularly powerful. That is great. I, I mean, I think, you know, with, with met- metadata and smart searches, that's all you need for a file system right there. I mean, that takes care of the whole, what folder do I put this in? Exactly. Um, you could put it in six folders with a tag, you know. The I don't know. Uh, it's been a long time since I've talked about this because Apple's dedication to tagging has uh, waxed and waned, and I haven't been comfortable uh, advocating too uh, publicly. But right. my system, everything I save goes to the desktop. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, I go through and I have shortcuts. I basically, using tags, describe each file. And then those files are moved to a certain place in the file system, but that is uh, transparent to me mm-hmm. because I can then click a save search for, you know, all PDFs in this date that relate to this topic. And it appears to me as a folder and I don't have to know where they are. And are you still doing um, like project based folders or are you belt and suspenders or just suspenders? It is a combination. It is still uh, the actual location in the file system is still a shallow folder hierarchy. Uh But I don't, the folders don't get too detailed. In fact, there are some hierarchies that are simply a client name Mm -hmm. and then everything within them is sorted by tags. And like I said, they, they're, they're in a folder hierarchy, but I never actually drill through that folder hierarchy. I don't have to know where they are. Right. It's removed. It's a step removed from my daily workflow. Yeah. But if all the metadata got stripped, I'd Mm -hmm. still be able to. Uh, access them because they are actually in folders yeah that system makes so much more sense to me especially when you you're you've got stuff that's not just client specific stuff but things you're reusing in multiple places where you might want a reference to something that you reuse all the time but not have multiple copies of the file everywhere definitely yes reusable things and then you can also add tags to say where you've used them so that you can say well there is this something that i used in this project but I could use it again, but I don't remember what it was called or <laughs> what kind of file it was. And you can just type in related tags and there it is. I love cool. it. So, number two for you. Uh, it's called Sintra, which is a, a fancy uh, brand name. But it's it's basically uh, like a PVC pipe, but it's in sheet form. So it's expanded PVC foam. So you can get them in 8.5 by 11 sheets. Uh, you can go to your local plastics dealer downtown and buy a four by eight sheet uh and figure out how to strap that on your car but it it comes in uh thicknesses from one millimeter to six millimeters it's just a really great material for making small things whether it's robot bodies or again with the christmas ornaments or 
whatever you want to make, a small box, um, you're trying to make an enclosure for some project that you've made to hold some switches and knobs and a display. Uh, it's really easy to drill and cut. You can glue it together with super glue um, or pipe glue if you want, like PVC glue. And uh, I, just, I just love it. It's, it's, the, it's the wood I never had. So it's also probably good for outdoor use. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you wanted to make uh, uh, your own wildlife camera or um, something that you leave outside, an outdoor electronics project like a Halloween thing or... Uh, <laughs> that is my new like obsession that. is building yes. a really good Halloween uh, display. But Yeah, I heard you mention on the last episode that you had done some uh, uh, indoor making projects. Yeah, I, I'm. this was the first Halloween I ever decorated for, and I had all these ideas, but... I uh, did not give myself enough time or uh, experimenting time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but next year, I'm very much looking forward to all of the things I want to do. It, it's hard with the seasonal things. Like, you don't feel <laughs> peak enthusiasm until it's too late to actually do the project. Right, but I just um. built a deck this year that oh, I'm having okay. a blast doing. I, I've I've hooked up um, a lighting, a rope lighting system underneath the railing yeah. all yeah. the way around the deck. Mm-hmm. And I'm building, I, I wired out an outlet box, but I'm going to split it off and make a dedicated Insteon controlled box just for the deck lighting. Oh, so that, cool. and then I'll be able to do like color schemes and, oh, and dim yes. levels and it's going to be fun. That'll be awesome. Yeah, it's a I new love, outlet. <laughs> yeah. I, I love controlling things on, on whimsical factors like, um, for the giant musical instrument I'm I'm building, one of my ideas for an Easter egg to hide in there is is to have it change to a minor key whenever it's raining outside. Oh, beautiful! Um, <laughs> there was that a, kind of thing. There wasn't. I read about an installation, a musical. It was like a house that created music based on environmental factors. That'd be and cool. it was all. It was, there was like a central room that looked like a pipe organ room, huh. but it was all programmable synthesizers with all of these like weather instruments and everything. How neat. That would be fun. And and then so within the rules of whatever genre of music it, it's um you know, it's not doing anything um what's the word? Discordant. Um, right. right. It's if not I'll, making any yeah. bad sounds. Right. It's, it's not, not free jazz. <laughs> <You're> okay. <laughs> no, yeah, it uses a structure, but it's always changing. Like there's no repetition because it's basing functions on ever changing environmental variables. Cool. That sounds like I had an idea for a, a worm monica. So I was going to take a, a composting bin of, of worms and then put probes in the soil and have them play like uh, blues music Beautiful. based on the 12-barbium blues. <laughs> so, so as they crawl around, they would trigger on these little capacitive touch sensors, um, you know, different notes and, and different little riffs and whatnot uh, within the basic uh, structure of blues. But uh, Yeah, you could do something uh, like... Uh, uh, Leap motion style controller on an ant farm where it's oh, yeah. flattened tunnels. That'd be awesome. <laughs> oh, just, like, not that I would listen to, you know, random, I wouldn't normally listen to randomly generated. You well, know, and once you were done building it, you probably never listen to it. Right, but right. <laughs> it's the but challenge just of building. See if I could. <laughs> exactly. I love it. <laughs> all right. Okay. So my number two is, I think all, yeah, all three of mine are software for the Mac this, this week. But uh, my second one is called Gestimer. Or just timer. I'm not sure how to say it out loud, but it's G E S T I M E R. And what it is, it's a menu bar icon that sits at the top of your screen. And when you reach up and pull on it with your mouse, 
it gives you like a, like a string with a ball that you're pulling away from it. And the further you pull it, the longer the timer. So when you let go, it sets a timer and you can name the timer and, uh, and then just go on and it will alert you when your time is up. So it's a quick way to say, uh, I need to do something in 15 minutes. So you just pull it down about think, two inches on my screen uh-huh. and let it go. And then I type in, you know, let the dog back in because it's cold outside. And an genius uh, user interface invention. Yes. Well, and it goes back to what we were just talking about. Like, I love human input devices. Like, HID is probably my obsession on computers. I have more keyboards, mice, controllers, uh, motion detectors, things like that around my computer and my entire house. I love the idea of non-standard control and input and really smart interfaces. Oh yeah, and so this one was immediately appealing to me. That is cool. That because uh, my next pick, uh, Adafruit, which is a company that they're a vendor of electronic supplies, so they sell lots of little circuit board modules for all different kinds of things. One of the things that they sell is a HID Bluetooth circuit board. So it's it's got inputs, so you can wire them up to switches or buttons or anything like that. But then it's a Bluetooth device that could connect to your Mac. So. You step on the doormat outside, and that you know wakes your computer from sleep or something like that, nice. or runs a script. Or see, you I know, did that can... early on in my automation days. I built uh, it was a piezo switch from Radio Shack mm-hmm. under a piece of plywood, and I could put yeah. it on the floor. And when you stepped on it, you could trigger actions that would then go into an X10 electrical system based. Like I could send signals oh, back yeah. to a receiver. And do all kinds of things with it. And I, I stole the piezo triggers out of a homemade drum kit, electronic drum kit I'd built. Oh, yeah. I love that stuff. I'm <laughs> looking. Is... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's so fun to just make stuff that's never been made before and, and, and create things. And then after you've made it, you don't always need it. So but then you've got parts and expertise that you take somewhere else. So If you ever go through my website, I have over... Um, 112 at this point, 112 different downloadable projects that were finished to completion, ready for production. And I use maybe, maybe 18, 19 of those Uh because once I've solved the problem, once it's out, I'm done with it. But you, you 100% solve the problem. A lot of folks will get their projects to 80%, realize that they could do it, but then don't finish it. No, it's important to me to cover the edge cases. I feel like it's right. not solved until it works. You know, uh, that's what, I think that's what drew me to Apple after years of using Windows. The idea that Apple had just made things, when you do something that you think will do a certain action, it does that action. Right. And that kind of examination of user habits mm-hmm. is is became what I strive for in just about everything I do, physical yeah. or programmatically. It's just to make things work. I want a world where everything just works. Yeah, and and everything is, you know, smoothly like with the electronics projects, it's not just I was able to put some components in a breadboard and it's a mess of wires and if you hit it too hard, everything <laughs> will get short-circuited and fry and everything it's no you put it in a case and and you put nice buttons and labels on it and everything and and you figure out the the power supply it's not gonna gonna suck up you know six double a's every three hours that it's turned on kind of a thing the worst part of this uh, deck wiring project was that i got all of my outdoor cable buried 
up to code, added the PVC pipe and everything, and then found this one two-inch spot where I needed a PVC elbow. Uh-huh. And that still drives me nuts. I kind of <laughs> I kind of hacked around it for now because it would right. have required pulling all the wire back through all of this like half inch PVC. Right. <laughs> some like you can't always put a junction box in there right. and that kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. Really want to solve that problem, but the refactor. The hard, hardware <laughs> exactly. refactoring, I guess. Maybe when I add that second branch, I'll I'll split it off early. Anyway. Anyway, so so we've already kind of moved on to your th- your third pick, which would be Adafruit. Yes, Adafruit. Yes, yeah, they're they're a vendor of terrific stuff. They sell um, NeoPixel strips, they call them, but it's basically a flexible circuit board about uh, half an inch wide, and then depending on um, what you want, um, you can get them basically right next to each other LEDs that have red, green, and blue elements inside each LED. So it can be any color by mixing that red, green, and blue, just like a pixel on your screen. Um, So you can get these strips, and then you can control them with a microcontroller like an Arduino and build all kinds of patterns you want, whether it's, I mean, you could could get the waterproof versions and do deck lighting. Um, Last night we had a party at the museum, and I soldered up a little controller to, to one of the strips and stuck it inside my elf hat. Um, so I had my little custom patterns dancing around on my hat for the evening. Um, just so much fun to to play with those controllable LEDs and do all kinds of patterns. You could make a wall of them and do a video s- display if you wanted to. Sure. Have you oh. seen the IKEA hacks? The, there's an IKEA hackers yeah. site. That's terrific. I love the creativity in there where you've you've got this is your materials. Um, work with them. Yeah, uh, and they they make awesome stuff. Yeah, because well, IKEA has uh, an RGB. It comes with uh, these small, like eight inch strips that you can then chain, and then they're designed to work off this simple, like uh, it's a rotating pot controller that s- does the whole scale of RGB colors, mm-hmm. and you can make all in. It has four branches, so you can run off lights in four directions. But it all comes back to this one controller. But the IKEA hackers have made it so that you can make that USB controlled. Yeah. And the first one that made me go out and start hacking on those was uh, a controller that allowed you to detect the pixel colors on a screen or a television through HDMI and then modify the backlighting so you could extend the average color for the screen. Or there were people that actually did it for four corners and had four different color lights in the back. Um, and I had a blast with that. That is really fun. So then I found this, let me see, this new Kickstarter project that was called Light Pack. I've not heard of that one. And well, yeah, it's the same. It's exactly what I just described, but Mm pre-made to work with. You have to run it through a computer. It requires like a Mac mini hooked up to your television which is currently a blocking point for me actually installing this right but i picked it up and it gives you the the four different colors so the back like the entire wall behind your television or monitor becomes part of the display it's it's a very cool effect but yes and then i'm noticing on this adafruit website there's a what's this first page secret secret knock activated drawer lock yes that is awesome too so you can yeah. have like a patterned knock. <laughs> yeah, a, a Twitter buddy of mine invented a secret knock uh, 
candy machine, so it's like a gumball machine, <laughs> but there's no coin slot. You you have to knock on it to get the candy to come out. We had a pop machine like that in my neighborhood, but it was more a matter of uh, banging on it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you could put coins in it, but if you right. knew the if you knew the tricks, uh huh. It involves some salt water to get it set up, but we got it. Uh huh. Oh, my my child phone freaking. You remember freaking? Were you into oh, yeah. that? Uh, I was a little almost too young, but I had a couple of friends in high school that were really into it. Um, they were a couple of grades up, but yeah, they, they gave me some, some fun numbers to dial. It's like, wow, I could make anyone's phone just hang up on them. Did you? <laughs> it, it seemed so fun at the time. <laughs> if I can ask, how old are you? 36, I think. We're almost exactly the same age, but <laughs> I see Gopher. Um, oh, yeah. I learned all of my freaking stuff from BBSs and from Gopher. And would build the magenta box was my crowning achievement. But all of these different boxes and then sneak around my neighborhood at night and hook into people's <laughs> phones. Uh, I solved King's Quest V via a magenta box that I could call from my basement to this phone number. The neighbor's phone would not ring, but it would route me into another neighbor's phone line. So it was like a proxy. Uh-huh. And then I could call the hint line from uh-huh. Sierra and get hints for King's Quest V, and I solved it in like a week. It was, uh, <laughs> see, I consider the problem solving that went into cheating uh-huh. to be as good as having solved it myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not <laughs> like it's not like you're going to deconstruct the, the code and figure out where the, the hints are or anything. Right. Like it, you, you know, there's a limit to how far you'll go, but... Well, you uh, look at still... the options for solving a yeah. problem, and you say, this one is the option I'm going to go with, and this one involves, you know installing boxes in in phone junctions and (laughs) yeah see i think i probably wasn't social enough to get into the freaking because i didn't have any you know i didn't have enough friends um no one told me about it it was it was a while before i even had a uh the number of a bbs i could dial because i had to meet someone that was into it uh and i was just not good at meeting and mingling Um, see i wasn't either i had no i had no friends i just my dad brought home a pc junior in 84 i was six I think I was mm-hmm. six, but I, like from that point on, it was that once I found out I could be social, once I found out I could save my allowance and get, you know, a 300 BPS modem that became my, my friends. <laughs> I never met half my childhood friends. Oh, I ran BBSs, virtual. you know, put them on FidoNet, got people to mm. come to me, never had to talk to them. That's just great. communicated and learned and could find the information I wanted. Gopher was amazing. Like command line. It was like being in a museum or a library. Discovering and, collections of things. Right. And once you learn how to walk down the aisles, you just start. Sometimes you go out just to learn something new that you didn't even know you were looking for. Yeah. And that's what the Internet is now. But right for people who are actually interested in more than Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just amazing. We have so much knowledge out there, and and the preponderance of internet time is seeing what your friends are up to. <laughs> like, no, oh, what do I want to be up to? There, there is an interesting aspect to the the idea of social, uh, but it also is a crippling factor in a lot of people's uh, growth and development. I think. Yeah, I, I read an article uh, last night that um, people are happier when they quit Facebook um, because then they're not comparing themselves. As Keeping much. up with the Joneses. Right. Yes. Saying, oh, that person's doing something awesome and I'm not. Or, um, or, or your entire goal in life is to have a really good status update to give people. Right. That's a, yeah, I can't <laughs> stand that. It's like, no, but we, don't need to, we don't need to tell anyone about it. Let's just do it. 
And I, I, I rebel against the complaints of like, you go to a concert and everyone has their phone out, you know, mm-hmm. but I, that's not a problem to me. That's, that's progress. That's technology. Right. That's sharing. That's making something local more than local. Right, I'm but okay don't go with to that. a concert to have your phone out. Right. It's a matter of uh, of intent and approach more than use of technology. Yeah. 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 I'm only I'm only going to get video. Then you're just a bootlegger. Right. All right. So my third pick is Monity. Uh, it is a today widget for Mac that huh. it does what um, iStat used to always do for me. Oh, I loved iStat, yeah. I still love I iStat. Use- I just like exploring options. Um, and Monity actually provides a very detailed, in the today uh, sidebar in Yosemite and El Capitan, it gives you uh, a configurable panel with multiple pages. But like right now, mine's set up. I have four little sections when i slide my uh notification bar out i get system information with like uptime and processes cpu use then i have memory usage and i have network uh up and down and ip addresses and then battery information including cycles and capacity of the current battery and then uh and then disk usage info and then i can pull that down and go into even more detail but uh, and multiple pages, but it is, it's a really slick, um, add on with a very minimal system impact. It runs a background tool with, uh, with privileges to get all the information, mm-hmm. but surprisingly you can get it through the app store and then install the system tool, which would be well outside of sandboxing parameters, but they've pulled oh, yeah. it off. Huh. So yeah, I, I would yep. recommend that for, even for iStat users, take a look at it. It's cool. It, and expensive. the interfaces, uh, like the graphs and charts and things, are easy to glance at. You don't have to. Not so much as iStat. iStat okay. has iStat wins in that area. Uh, most of the display in Monity is uh, just straight up numbers and words. Because I tried one, I think it was iPulse. I'm not sure, but it 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 had it was great as far as uh, it didn't take up much room. You could have it just an icon in the dock, or you could stick it in the corner of the screen. Um, but it was very complicated and i found myself you know which section is it, it was many round um, bar charts all squished <laughs> together with no labels with with no clear uh delineation yeah right so i i couldn't remember which bar was for cpu and which one was for network and and, See, it, and that's what i love um like uh both nerd uh nerd tool and then later uber sicked uber uh, i was schooled in how to say that German word so many times and I uber sick uber sick uh, anyway um overview kind of uh and you can create your own widgets using html and shell scripts and put them on your desktop so that I yeah. can then on my trackpad just do a pinch out view my desktop and have everything designed in a way that I created and I right. understand that uh I, I should link my all my Uber, whatever widgets. Mm-hmm. That one's nice. I, I like the small compact graph thing, but you can make real art out of system yeah. stats if you take the time. Um, yeah, that that was fun. Okay, so that's three each. All right, let's talk yeah. about your contact info. So if people want to explore 
all of this crazy stuff you do. The the central point would be jeffhighsmith.com, which is spelled exactly like it sounds. And uh, you have a very phonetic name. Yeah, like and, a Smith way up high when, I, when I'm talking to people on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, I... I, if it was just Smith, maybe that would be easier, but it, it's not bad. I'll yeah, think. but if it was just Smith, you, you'd be easily confusable. With yeah. Jeff Smith, would you'd probably get a thousand different results on Google. It would not fulfill my desire to be a unique individual. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, uh, and then your other usernames vary widely, but on Twitter, you are Baby Rassler, W-R-A-S-S-L-E-R. Yes. Is there anywhere else you want to mention that's important? No, I think that's good. Uh, folks can can uh, talk to me or, or, or look at my projects. Yes, jeffhighsmith.com has a contact form and links to all of your videos that you've put out on Make and uh, descriptions of all your projects. It's fascinating. So head to jeffhighsmith.com and take a look at this uh, archive of excellent in- entertainment and and personal projects. I am. I'm glad you found a uh, a current occupation that really exercises this. Uh, oh, me too. <laughs> this brain I couldn't have asked for something better. It's, it's you know, I I want to build. I want to constantly be doing new things, but like, I don't know. It's it's really difficult. Like, I want to have interesting problems to solve. I guess um, all the time. And I don't, I don't want to keep solving the same problem over and over again. Like just fixing cars. Well, maybe that would be you know. That would that would be too. It might be a new problem every day, but not the kind of problem I like. I like something where I'm, I'm learning new things and researching new materials and uses and figuring out how to get this to work with that and integrating different systems. Um, According to my mechanic, stuff. you have to get recertified twice as often now as you did ten years ago because cars are changing so fast. Oh yeah, well, nowadays I guess with all the computers <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, I can't even take. I, my first car, we're off off the rails, but um, like my first car, I could I could understand. I could look under the hood, and I knew what was what. And in my Audi, I have to dig through layers just to just to find the the yeah. most basic part. I don't even know where the carburetor is at this point. It's, I know where the oil. So fast. <laughs> like I had I had an eighty nine Jeep Wrangler. Um, where you'd open the hood and it was just all this room and there were the components everywhere right. and yeah there was a computer in there but it it wasn't anything heavy you know oh man I go um, to car shows and look at the trucks from 1920s to 30s and oh yeah it's an empty so under the hood <laughs> there's, yeah. there's like three things and and yeah I could I could have done that my dad built his own cars in high school like pulled together junkyard stuff and built cars and I I miss the uh the thought that there there would have been an opportunity for me to do that at some point but then it got beyond my uh my my motivation to learn it was less than uh the curve anyway okay um so yeah jeffhighsmith.com and uh, thanks for being here this was a really fun oh, conversation awesome. I didn't... Uh, my smiling muscles are are sore <laughs> <laughs> i i didn't Good know job. what i was getting into when i contacted you but it worked out really well thanks all right, and I am Brett Terpstra. I am at brettterpstra.com and ttscoff, S-C-O-F-F, everywhere else. You can also follow Systematic at uh, system, S-T-S-Y-S-T-M, cast uh, on Twitter. And, uh, 
and then esn.fm is where it's currently located to find all of our past episodes so thank you everybody for listening and i'm moving i think to a bi-weekly that means every other week right oh i can never remember i know that things yeah. like it i think I'm, I'm moving to an every other week format where uh it'll yes. go systematic and then overtired and uh and so tune in i will see you in two weeks so thanks everyone for listening see you soon